It's only available with TurboTax Live. The fastest hour in sports radio is here. This is the greatest moment in my life. On the Big 550 KTRS. Team sports will keep you away from temptations like rock music. It's Sports Sunday, and it starts now. Oh, my goodness. Here's Brendan Weesey. And a pleasant good Sunday morning, St. Louis, on the Big 550 KTRS. It is Sports Sunday. Brendan Weesey with you. Howard Morton back is our producer. Great to have Howard driving the show today we're with you until 12 noon and a lot to get into as always our soccer wrap-up is coming up in a few minutes ben fred will be with me for some tiger tales we'll also talk some cardinals baseball it was a tremendous saturday of sports now the final results weren't necessarily terrific the blues just get smoked by the red wings in detroit uh, the pendulum swinging back and forth on this blues team. And maybe now where it's finally swung to a place where is it just not going to happen for this team? There've been some highs, there've been some lows, but things are now plateauing and, and, and it's not where you want to be. Uh, heck even Robert Thomas and Jordan Cairo benched late yesterday. It was ugly, really, really ugly for the blues, but we'll, uh, we'll see where, where this thing is trending now is, is you kind of have to make up your mind or you enter you're out. I still think you could be a hybrid of both, but interesting times here for the blues over the next few games to see what the rest of 2024 looks like college hoops from yesterday. We'll talk more about it with Ben, but Mizzou loses again, 88 73 and a uh, great individual effort career high 33 from Sean East. He was 15 of 16 from the free throw line. After Dennis Gates called him out using expletives uh, last week, Tigers go 28 of 30 from the free throw line. They shoot 93%, and they still lose by 15. Uh, Tamar Bates had 11, Nick Honor 14. But, again, it's the, the, the bench and the secondary production falls off so quick with, with, with this team. It, it's easy to see where the struggles are at. They're now 8 and 19. They're 0 and 14. In the SEC, in a week that was very tumultuous in Columbia with Desiree Reed Francois leading to take the job at Arizona. Better news for Illinois. They beat Iowa 95 to 85 at home yesterday. That game was back and forth. It looked like Iowa. They really needed that game yesterday for their bubble hopes. Uh, and Illinois, they, they hung in there. Great effort. Coleman Hawkins, this guy stuffs the stat sheet every time out. He had 30 to go along with five assists and five steals. 12 for Terrence, Terrence Shannon, Justin Harmon with 12 off the bench. And then how about SLU? This felt like one of their best games of the year. They beat GW in 96-91. Now, George Washington's bad, about as bad as, as SLU has been. But how about the debut? First game of the year, he makes a start. Uh, Abu Magasa goes for 14. And he's one of these guys we talked about as, as T. Ford hit the foreign markets last offseason. This kid from France and has his best, you know, has a tremendous game. I was going to say best game. This is his only game of the year. He got the start. was terrific. Two of five from three, four of five from the free throw line. Slew, they do a, 
uh, a tremendous job of of not playing very good defense, evidenced by giving up over 90. But I've said this for a while. They have no problem scoring points, even with Sincere Parker out yesterday. And they hope the ankle injury is is not super serious. But uh, they, they can score. Billikens can absolutely score. And uh, they do it yesterday. They get a nice win against George Washington. Then the Cardinals uh, split the split squad with the Marlins and Mets. We'll talk with Ben more about that coming up. Let's get to our soccer wrap-up. This, this is the Soccer Wrap-Up. Brought to you by Royal Banks of Missouri and the Pitch Athletic Club and Tavern. Part of Sports Sunday on the Big 550 KTRS. St. Louis City SC plays Real Salt Lake to a 1-1 draw. It, it, it's, a, it's a draw that feels pretty good because you rallied from 1-0 down. Uh, Salt Lake scores their goal, and just minutes later, St. Louis on the board with Sam Adoniran, who comes off the bench to score the goal. A tremendous moment for uh, Big Sam as he gets it done. And Edu Leuven, he talks about uh, hooking up with Adoniran, a great pass, Adoniran with the speed and, and an absolute skill and strength to put it in the back of the net. I think it was a decent pass, but I think Sam still had a, had to create a lot out of that. And I think he, like, the most of the credit belongs to him because, like, what he did out of that was was incredible with his pace, with his with his body, went past the uh, defender. So I think um, that was that was a great uh, action from Sam. A tremendous strength. I mean, just an absolute rocket by Sam. I mean, and this is after he showed incredible speed a few nights ago. You love what he's doing. And, hey, it matters. Big Sam talking about getting a point. You needed it. It was looking bleak for a couple of minutes there. You never want to leave a game with zero points, no matter what, you know, no matter how bad or good you played. You know, you never want to leave a game with, with zero points. So I think getting a point, you know, against a tough opponent is – is very important, you know. Um, momentum is a big thing in this league, you know, and it's also a big thing in the in the Concacaf Championship. Obviously, it's it's a it's a big thing in any league, you know. So, so I think when you have that momentum of not losing, it helps you, you know, it helps you to move forward. So, I think getting a point against this team is going to help us moving on to to Houston as well, you know, because that's a game that we can't afford to lose. Again, tight, compressed window, four games, eleven days. Houston is next, and that continues to be a storyline here. Yesterday, you see Klaus check out and Adeneron check in yesterday, mixing and matching this lineup. Bradley Carnell knows it continues to be instrumental to find a way out and continuing, again, whether it's win or a point. Tuesday, there's only one result coming out of there, advancing in the Champions Cup against Houston and trying to manage your roster along with it. Having to deal with two cup competitions and four games in 12 days or 11 days, it's uh, never easy to mitigate and navigate through. Um, but uh, four days, you know, Tuesday to Saturday, we should have no problem, you know, with this stretch now. But now coming up, is it's going to be a question. So, you know, we made some roster changes tonight and we had some uh, different bodies out there. Um, and part of that was to to navigate through the next couple of days. Yeah, so... Um, we, we feel we can compete with our whole roster. We feel we can, you know, win games with our whole roster. And I think we showed that in parts tonight as well, that we can compete to the very end uh, with just about anybody that's, that's uh, left on our roster and, you know, starting games or coming off the bench. So it, it, the only bad news to come out of last night, 
Tim Parker leaves the game with injury. Indy Vasilev dealing with that wrist injury. He was back out there in a cast, though, last night. Quick turnaround for Indy. Did not start the match, but did come in late. We'll get more analysis coming up as our soccer wrap-up continues after this commercial break. Host of the Flyover Footy Podcast, you hear it right here on the Big 550. Matt Baker, he's up with me next on the Big 550. Natural LLC, member SIPC. What happened to the world of soccer this week? Let's find out on Soccer Wrap-Up on Sports Sunday. Brought to you by Royal Banks of Missouri and the Pitch Athletic Club and Tavern. The Big 550 KTRS. Matt Baker hosts the Flyover Footy Podcast. You hear it right here on the Big 550 KTRS. You can download it wherever you hear your podcast and get it in its entirety. We're into that stretch now. There'll be multiple pods each week. Matt Baker with me. As uh, we break down match one of the MLS season for City last night, Matt. Good morning. Morning, Brendan. How are you? I'm okay. It was Matt. Probably a game where City didn't play their best yet. They still come away with a draw. They come away with a point. Should we feel good about that this morning? We should feel good about a point, given how the flow of the game went. I absolutely think that's the case. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the the game. Did not start off near as well as it as the beginning of the MLS season did last season. And you could point to a few different causes for that. You could point to the rotation that's occurred between the Houston match and this match. You could point to losing Nielsen and Leuven for a period of time in the preseason and having them get back up to speed. You could point to the specific injury issues that happened last night between Tim Parker, Josh Yarrow having multiple issues that probably necessitated the change in formation in the second half. But when it boils down to is a lack of ability to get the ball into the final third into some dangerous spots. It was an issue that we saw a few times in the preseason. It was an issue that we saw against Houston. And St. Louis hasn't figured it out yet in 2024. Uh, they, they are connecting into the attacking half, but when it comes to that final pass and the ability to create space, we didn't see that um, at all, really, and that's concerning. You can look at all these other intangibles, all these other pieces in the midfield and the back line, but you have to be able to get the ball into some dangerous spots, and compared to RSL, we just couldn't do that at times. You mentioned the the lineup issues with, with Leuven and with Nielsen and the, the amount of time they missed in camp, and we're still in this tight, compressed four games, 11 days, we continue to say it, Matt. Does does that have a role in this, in really the necessity for Coach Bradley Carnell to keep as many fresh guys and rotate as many fresh guys in there as possible but with the super quick turnaround coming from Saturday to Tuesday down in Houston? Yeah, and if you take a step back, you look at what you expected going into this first stretch of games, knowing that we have at least two matches, two midweek matches in between our first couple of MLS games. And I think if you look at what you hope for, best case scenario in these first two weeks, four matches, I think you start off and you're still not in, you're still not into panic mode and in the slightest, you got a win against Houston. That was a huge benefit that sets you up really well for the second leg and to progress in champions cup. And if you're going into this first MLS match, and the conversation that we had in the offseason of staying competitive throughout the first few weeks 
and then making sure that you get into form at the right time in an MLS season. Yeah, you never want to drop points at home. I think that's a that's an unfortunate thing that happened. And ideal circumstances with availability and with the flow of the game and the injuries that occur, maybe you would have been to get been able to string a few more things together. But walking away from RSL with a point, yeah, one point obviously better than zero, and you're you're not in panic mode with how things ended with the game you had a lot of players end physically fit you at least know that tim parker should be available for tuesday if he's able to go from a recovery perspective you know no long lasting health effects for that so you know taking a step back i think you're still in a scenario of it could be a lot worse the 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 connectivity issues here matt you talk about getting it to the middle third but not maybe not being able to convert in the final third of the field are, is there any, any of these combinations that you can point to that's looked less than, or any combinations, obviously with Sam on the field again, yesterday, speed, athleticism, strength, there's no problem with him right now. He he's maybe been the most impressive guy we've seen so far. When you factor in all the opportunities he had Tuesday, and then that goal last night was, was one that that's a, that's a big time, a do it yourself, big man kind of goal. Oh, you, you could easily say, and I think you should say, that Sam Adeneron has been our best attacker, maybe even best player on the field so far through the first couple of games. And the spark that he provided coming in off the bench can't be denied. And what he brings to this team and his line-breaking ability to win 1v1 duels, that's something that we were missing for the 60-plus minutes that he wasn't on the field. The issues connecting to our attacking players where last night we saw – a a penchant for utilizing our fullbacks to help progress the ball. You know, from a touch perspective, Jabulu Blom and our fullbacks were heavily involved in the game in trying to progress the ball. But those 1v1 duels that Sam was so adept at and won so well to create the goal, we were missing entirely from our attacking players. AZ Jackson, Celia Pompeu, Nukvi Thorsten, Klaus, all of them were sub 50% in their, their duel rates, and they didn't they weren't able to gather the ball in the ways that it was played. So sending a ball long down the, down the touchline for Celio Pompeu, he didn't have a whole lot of space to maneuver, and he wasn't able to successfully gather the ball, but then bring it back and go direct to goal. When you have the, the inability to beat the RSL defense and at least gather the ball so that the rest of your attackers can put themselves into position and find space, then you're not going to be able to even think about that final touch that was missing for the entire duration of the game. And I think that's one thing the city has to work on because we, like I mentioned, the preseason, you saw an, an inability to really create a lot of consistent opportunities. And Nuki Thorson in particular thrives when he's able to move between the, the spaces of the defenders in the attacking third. He plays off the ball really well, but nobody was able to really create that opportunity for him. And in fact, he was the one, just like Celio on the right, who is being asked to take those, receive that first pass into the final third and then create for others. It, it, it sounds like it's, it's a matter of getting the ball to where he's at, but for somebody like Klaus, I still feel like we're, we're waiting again, two games in, but even going all the way back to last year, we're, we're still trying to find that Klaus that we saw in the first couple of months last year before his injury. Yeah, and I'm not sure if it's a confidence thing so much as it is 
uh, problem with Klaus himself. You know, he, he didn't have very many opportunities, but the one that sticks out was in the first half when Nukmi Thorson was playing the ball to him. He had space in the middle of the box, and it was just an extra touch that he gave the ball that gave the defense enough time to go ahead and block that shot. And I, I remember multiple times last year where Klaus would either create for himself with the ball or work on, on sliding between the lines, and he, would, he wouldn't take more than one touch to do something magical with the ball. And so maybe it's a confidence issue of knowing uh, – a positioning issue too, knowing that just where you need to position your body to receive the ball, to be able to play it immediately to goal versus trying to settle the ball for a touch or two and then allowing the defense time to close that gap. I want to see more, I want to see more pace on and off the ball from a guy like Klaus because when he's able to move quickly – and you saw the opposite with Chicho Arango on RSL last night. His ability to slide between the lines – was immaculate at times, and he, he did it consistently. Sometimes he was called offside, sometimes he wasn't, but that's the, the razor's edge line that you need to play, and that's the kind of position I want to see Klaus in. I want to see Klaus get called for an offside or two because that tells me that he's right on the cusp of making these kinds of runs that can change a game. Well, I, plenty of things for us to be to be critical of, Matt, and what would I continue to find interesting, though, in a, a game where City doesn't play their best, they still have the moments. And we talk about where they're, you know, your back's against the wall and you got to respond. Salt Lake scores, City responds moments later on that goal by Big Sam. And then was it Nerwinski then in the final few seconds that mm-hmm. swoops in behind uh, behind Berkey to save your bacon in the, again, the final seconds of the match where that's possibly a, a, a deciding goal for Salt Lake. Instead, it's a mere footnote in that game, but I think one that still deserves a mention. Yeah. And that's something that really shouldn't go unnoticed. I'm glad you brought that up, Brendan, because that's the kind of play that not only can lose you a point in a game, but it can really change the momentum for weeks and matches to come. Jake Nerwinski coming in and having to do a much different role than he was expecting to do as that second right-back option, being brought in to do a right-center-back role in a three-center-back formation after multiple head injuries to Josh Yarrow and uh, just a different approach that Carnell had to take. The 97th minute, that moment that you're mentioning, where the RSL had a few opportunities in stoppage, I think they had multiple that, that were lucky they didn't actually get further. But his ability to go and clear that ball off the line, and whether you say it was going towards the post or in goal or away, it was too close for comfort. And Jake Nowitzki's ability to go quickly and clear that ball, it saved us a point, just like Sam's scoring earlier saved us a point. But what a different conversation we might be having now if they had scored in the dying minutes and for St. Louis to, to have conceded, if that would be the story now, that would impact mentally and tactically the approach going to Tuesday and next week. That, I mean, that could be one of those underlying game changers for the early half of the season. No, no question about it. Huge moment there in the final few seconds. And uh, Matt, you talk about Tim Parker, hopefully not having to miss time. I, I, I would be curious to see if you don't just give him, and, and maybe it's a late check-in on Tuesday, but I'm curious, coming off the early exit and a uh, little muscle tweak, where if, if you don't give him a, a breather on Tuesday. Yeah, and that's where you start to have the conversations of taking care of Tim Parker long-term. Is it worth not playing him for 
just giving him that night off or at least giving him uh, a breather for the most part of the game and just resting a little bit. But if you do that, knowing that you're without Kyle Hebert now for a period of time, at least 10 days from what we heard because of his knee injury that he picked up. So he's out likely. He's out for Tuesday. He's likely out for the NYCFC game next weekend. And so what does your center back depth look like? We know Jake Nerwinski can play a right center back role. He did it for Vancouver. He's done it in a three center back look, so he can play there. But is this an opportunity early on to bring back up Michael Venzel from City 2, who saw so much time with City during the preseason, and maybe even give him a start next to Josh Yarrow? Because your depth is really an issue now. And having Joachim Nilsson played, just played 90 minutes for the first time, and, and do you want to run him back out that soon? That would be another concern. I think there's a lot that Bradley Carnell is going to have on his plate when it comes to how do you – how do you put together a lineup that stewards the health and fitness of your players who are just on three days turnaround, which AZ Jackson last week mentioned the training staff says 48 hours for your body to be able to turn around. And that's at a baseline. So you have to get, see who's ready beyond that. It's a, there's a lot of questions going into Tuesday and St. Louis might be set up in good scenarios for moving on. But when you come, when you have to deal with all the things that they're dealing with now, it, it gets tricky. Matt, we got a bounce fallout pod out. Fallout Pod will be out tomorrow morning. Santi and I are recording today. We've got a lot to dive into, including a preview of Houston. Love it. Matt, we'll talk to you later this week. Thanks, Brendan. That's Matt Baker, host of the Flyover Footy Podcast. I'm Brendan Weesey. Ben with me for some Tiger Tales next. Check this out. Tiger Tales is on the air. Schrader gets the same second level to the 30, to the 25, cuts between the hash marks. 15, 10, 5, house! A recap of the latest Mizzou Tigers football game. Here's Ben Fredrickson and Brendan Nisi on the Big 550. KTRS. Let's continue this Sports Sunday morning with some Tiger Tales. Sports columnist from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, Ben Fredrickson alongside good morning ben hey good morning man happy sunday happy sunday to you another tiger ball game yesterday this time in fayetteville against the woeful arkansas razorbacks and a similar result in fact these games just they really now that sean east is back ben and he's been playing tremendous these games follow the same script before he got hurt either the tigers get off to a super slow start at the beginning, or they are, they're a house of fire for five minutes, then they go through a long drought, then they get things close to even, or even take the lead at halftime, come out of the gates fast in the second half, tease us with a lead, play really well, keep the game close, and then around the 9 or 10 minute mark in the second half, go on a long scoring drought, team pulls away, sometimes they pull it close again, they didn't do that yesterday, lose by 15, 88 to 73. It's um, you check all these boxes that you want to check for this team to try to win a game. You have a heroic performance from Sean East. You you uh, do something that Gates has been pleading his team to find ways to do, of create a bunch of free throw opportunities, and and yet still the game reaches the point where, kind of halfway through the second half, it's a close game, yet you feel like it's slipping away. And one of the reasons for me yesterday watching was. You, you get to that point in the game where you think, okay, there's still a ton of time left, and you notice all of a sudden Arkansas is in the bonus, and they're going to be shooting free throws the rest of the way, and that's just a, that's a tough that's a tough way to win. Um, and, and they can't, you know, they, they've managed to, I think, figure out some of their problems at different times as the season goes along, but 
one of the thing is pretty consistently they're playing they're playing on the wrong side of the of the foul game and on the road that's tough. Um, Arkansas is a bad matchup for them. Um, we saw that in Columbia. Uh, I didn't feel good about the game going in, and 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 we kind of saw why. But I think ultimately I come out of this one going, goodness, there were some good things that this team did in this game, but they have to do so many good things to overcome their their struggles to defend um, that that it's really it's really put them in a tough spot to try to win a conference game. And here's an Arkansas team, Ben, that struggles to shoot the three. Yeah, Colin Battle has a one of the games of his life as the team shoots 40% from three. Battle goes for 42. He's 6 of 10 from three to better his numbers almost instantly. And again, a similar theme. The Tigers can pack it in and play some zone. And in fact, I think I heard our good pal Tom Hart say it on the television broadcast yesterday where I think Arkansas only had a couple of dunks in the game, Only, which, which is... A nice change of scenery for the Tigers because they they give up so many uncontested buckets at the hoop. I did think they pack it they packed it in pretty well yesterday, made it difficult around the basket for Arkansas, but then they start making their threes, ten of twenty five, and it's either one or the other. Either a team gets I just absolutely white hot from three, or it becomes an and one mixtape at the bucket, and they're and they're just dunking and you know, circus shots at the hoop all day long, and, and the Tigers just can't catch a break, and, and and this time you end up giving up 88. So it's it's not that they don't play hard on defense, they do, but it just never turns out to, to be anything more than window dressing at the end because I, how can you say you played hard, you played well on defense, and give up eighty-eight points? And that's and yeah. that's the theme every single time out. It's not. I don't think it's an effort issue. I do think it it's is not. an effectiveness think... issue. And yeah. our pal Dane Bradshaw, who was on the call last night, he was being very kind to Mizzou, and he said, you know, some of this is maybe just bad luck. It seems like every team they play against has a guy who has the game of his life, or a guy who who does something that is unexpected and. I, it was nice of Dane to word it that way, but the reality is if you're the team that allows someone to have the game of their life every time you play, then <laughs> it probably says more about your defense than it does about that that fate or that, that bad luck. Um, they, they give too many good open looks to opponents. Sometimes they give them at the rim, and then sometimes they give them really good looks from three. And to me, I just keep coming back to the kind of the conclusion of, the way that this team says it wants to score, making three pointers and making you know shots in and around the rim, um, they allow teams to score that way against them much better than they can score against their opponents. And how many times last night, yesterday, did you see it? Where yesterday morning actually, where did you see it? Where Arkansas would have an early shot attempt, maybe it wasn't a high quality one. Arkansas gets the rebound back, and then boom, they get a great look and, and cash it in. Um, the second chance points, the lack of the the just the lack of the ability to stop offensive rebounding, it, it recreates opportunities for teams to get good looks, and and they're finding them. So, you know, I don't, I think that to me is the, I, I try to look at things that I think really are products of the system more than the roster because the roster can change, and that's good news, and it will change. 
um, you can get better shooters in an off season. Um, I think this team needs to maybe drill down on if it wants to rethink its approach on some of the rebounding importances, some of the some of the defensive identity things. Because what we're what we're seeing is a, is a system that maybe it's just the bodies, maybe it's just the it's the Jimmys and the Joes instead of the X's and the O's. But we're kind of seeing a defensive philosophy, I think, get really just get really abused in the second half in the second edition of, of Dennis Gates basketball. And it wasn't great last year, except they were so good at creating steals and turning it into offense. It overcovered a lot of this stuff. And if you're going to tell me that's how it has to work. And then, then, then you better go get a bunch of guys who can rip and run and create steals because this group can't and everything else is uh, is a problem. I go back and forth on, on trying to evaluate the, what, what, what this has been for Dennis Gates in year two, Ben. It's, it's going to be a bad look. There's a chance, a long shot, but I do think there's a chance you have both Sean East and Tamar Bates wind up on all conference teams in the SEC when this year is over. It'd be tough to vote them both in if they're on a winless team, but the fact that we've got two potential all-conference players on this team and this is your record and you've got a chance to go winless, that's a really bad look. And it's a combination of this roster falling off a cliff after you go past your top two or three. Um, it, it, but it's all it is, it's got to be a commentary, Ben, on on the coaching job Dennis Gates has done. And I, uh, again, I don't know exactly how to evaluate this thing because last year was so amazing for this team. How, how can we, how, how can we possibly not be critical? of how this has gone for this basketball team. And um, and again, this is completely independent of the trauma this program endured this week with Desiree Reed-Francois leaving to take the job down in Arizona. But uh, I do wonder, big picture-wise, for, for Dennis Gates and this program, what this what this ultimately looks like. This is much more than just a bump in the road, Ben. Uh, had you won four or five or six games this year, it would be disappointing, but hey, it's it's all systems go. We we knew pretty quick with all the injuries, and and, and again, there there are a lot of reasons why, Ben. But there are very few reasons to defend a winless effort, and there's still time for it not to be winless. And game in game out, now that Sean East is back, it's they're they're having close calls. They just run out of gas. But I mean, how much of this? goes towards uh Dennis Gates and and the coaching of this uh of this team right now yeah I, I think the the future of this can still be very bright and I think the recruiting coming in is still very encouraging I think it it should be a force point for Gates and his staff to take a step back and say okay <clears throat> two seasons of SEC evidence where there's some things last in, in the in the first season with exceeded expectations that maybe were a little bit of fool's gold and do some things need to be adjusted? Um, I don't think you abandon your your entire philosophy of basketball after one bad year, um, because if you did, you wouldn't be here in the first place. I mean, if Dennis Gates w- went back to the drawing board every time you faced adversity, he wouldn't be in this position. But I do think you you have to evolve your program a little bit to to better compete with one of the more physical, athletic conferences in the country. And I'm sorry, but not caring about rebounding is not not seeming to care about rebounding isn't a good way to win in the league. 
it doesn't mean you have to be the Windex crew, but you better maybe consider start making it a little bit more important of a uh, of an emphasis. Or you better go get so many lethal shooters that you can't, it doesn't matter, and you never miss. It's got to be one or the other. It can't kind of be in the middle. Because I think what, what the lesson here this year is that if this if, if the style doesn't have the roster, it's ugly. Because what happens is you your weak points become big, big holes and you can't do the things you need to do well enough to dig out of them. If you're going into a if you're going into a basketball game saying we're gonna concede rebounding, we're going to we're going to lose the free throw attempted and made battle almost every time, you are really up against it. Um, and you better do some remarkable things pretty regularly to overcome that. Um, I would like to see maybe those things chipped out a little bit with how they add to this team and also how they coach this team. Um, I think ultimately, most importantly, it's about them finding the right guys to play. They want to play, but you know, we talk so much about what Kobe Brown did for this group last year. We see them miss that, but also, you know, we, Demoy Hodge was one of the leading steals getters in all of college basketball last year. And I think he, he probably was in some ways a, a big defensive cover up. Because his he would he would poke balls away and create steals and lead the offense that maybe if those opportunities hadn't turned into turnovers for the opponent, maybe we would have seen some of this defensive breakdown um, more often last year. So I think there's a chance to dig in. You can't ignore it, you can't overreact to it, but you can't take a season's worth of evidence that tells you you just went on the program's worst losing streak in its in, in its history. We know there's been some bad years of Mizzou basketball, and you can't flush it entirely. Um, because that would be that would be making taking one mistake and turning it into two. If you don't address this thing and learn from it and put some implement some things that need to change, then then you're running the risk of having another bad season and more moving forward. Yep, they're uh, they're well on their way. And we talk a lot about the freshmen getting playing time. I do think it's fair to criticize the playing time they do get. Ant Robinson, Jordan Butler played a combined 18 minutes yesterday. They took a combined one shot and they made a combined zero points these guys in the time they do get and it's not a ton man I really I, I I don't care how much time they get moving forward I just want to see them play better and I want to see them have something to look forward to next year I think it's a great point I think there have been times where both of those guys have looked like they're moving in the right direction and then there have been a couple of games where they look like they've regressed and I thought Butler looked overmatched in this game he looked Looked like you didn't quite know where you were supposed to be, almost. Um, but that's part of playing as a freshman. I don't think you you can't shrink from that because you got to have this guy be a bigger, bigger part of it next season. Um, you know, personally, I would like to see those guys get a lot more time and opportunity than than a Connor Vanover. Um, I don't know why. I, I'll be honest. I don't know why Gates and his staff continue to play him. Um, it's not a shot at the kid, but he doesn't have a place and he's constantly behind the action and the tip-in dunk, and that was good. But to have, you know, it's like one of two, three, four dunks he has all season, um, he doesn't fit. And that, to me, is the other thing I think is fair to take away from this season. Um, there have been injuries that impacted things 100%. There, have also, there were also reads that the staff made on the transfer market that were wrong. Um, this idea that Gates can never get a player on the transfer portal that isn't a perfect fit for his system. We've seen that proven wrong this year. Um, so I think that becomes a little bit more of a realistic lens. Um, there, there aren't coaches that bat on, you know, perfect in the transfer portal period. Um, we maybe thought Gates was a guy who did and, and he's not. So 
that's going to have to have an increased attention moving forward, making sure that these guys fit what Mizzou wants to do. Got to find guys that can all contribute because Tamar Bates has been a darn near home run. Again, that tells you what the heck happened with the rest of the group. Tanji uh, and uh, Caleb Grill, you wish they – I wish we would have seen them in, in, a, in a more complete basis. It, it's that's And that's where I, I keep coming back to. This is an incomplete sure. grade for totally. these guys. Um, but, golly. But if those guys were playing, how many games are they going to win? I, and I don't know. Right. I don't know. <laughs> Five? I think that's fair to say too. Yep. Is the injuries were did make an impact, but how great of one? And also, I think fair to point out at this point, you know, the the, the big snowballs and avalanche. And these guys, if this were another season where this was a 500 team, maybe they go into a game like Arkansas and win. But when you haven't won in so long, you 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 are conditioned to think that the ice is going to crack beneath your feet. And when you think like that, it usually does. So sometimes it's not as much anything as as you haven't felt what it's like to win in a while these are these are humans and i think that they're 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 expecting that the avalanche that they're expecting the anvil to drop on their head now which is a really tough way to win too all right ben let's uh let's talk a little baseball as we'll move away from from the cardinals and how about uh some you know uh you know knee-jerk reaction here on day one of grapefruit league baseball cardinals play a split squad Couple quick hits, right? Uh, first of all, Matthew Liberator, Zach Thompson, both pitched yesterday. Guys that are competing for a number of different spots potentially. I just want to—I mean, for Zach Thompson, excited to see what his future looks like. Matthew Liberator, you just want to see that maybe there's some sign that he's figured it out. Not a great start for Liberator. Thompson looked good with your two lefties starting yesterday. I think it, it just kind of is one more. A small piece, but a piece of evidence that suggests that, in my opinion, I think Thompson should be ahead of Libertor in that competition. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, we know the Cardinals may flirt with a temporary kind of expanded rotation because of how their season starts. And I think I'd put Zach right up there on the top of the list of young guys who helped themselves last season despite a frustrating year for the team. The list wasn't long, um, but I think Zach really did. And I think, in, in my eyes, he's kind of pushed Libertor aside. Libertor, I think, is the guy the Cardinals would love to be able to turn to. Thompson is the guy that is proving that he's probably the smartest choice to turn to, at least immediately if they have a need beyond their current five-man rotation. And the first results of spring training matter in that setting. They don't matter if Paul Goldschmidt doesn't look good at the plate. They matter if, if two guys that the Cardinals have pointed to as young guys who could be challenging for early starts um, go out and perform, and one performs better than the other. That's the kind of competition that spring training actually matters, and I think it's good good for Zach's case that he looked better. Well, you're going to be down there in a couple of weeks, Ben. I know one of the spots you will be watching very closely as this plays out is, is shortstop because there this is obviously Mason Wynn's job, but for a guy that didn't look great at the plate in his brief call up last year wasn't that brief I mean, he had a couple months really to to get his licks in but I mean that's to give him a, a a floor to work with and hopefully this is no longer unfamiliar territory for him and we can see hopefully start to see him take off but if that doesn't happen Ben shortstop this is going to be a spot where I mean how long can you let Mason win try it if there are struggles and there's a huge domino effect if Mason Wynn does struggle, because then suddenly Tommy Edmond probably has to factor in 
on the infield, and then that affects your outfield. That affects Dylan Carlson and others. This is this is kind of Mason Wynn, even though he's going to hit at the bottom of the order, Ben, he's, he's a linchpin in many ways for the Cardinals' 2024 success. Absolutely, yeah, and I think when he wasn't a full immediately – from the start of camp, there were some rumblings, and but probably should be about okay, what do the Cardinals do if there's a need at that position? He had some upper body tightness. He was, I think, kind of working through and got back to swinging. Um, I think yesterday, and that's a good sign. But I think it underscores the discussion of a like, what if he gets an injury, this one or some other one, um, or also b what if he, what if he has a sustained uh, struggle offensively at the majors. I mean, the Cardinals are, they usually go to camp with a guy like Mason and say, we want him to compete to win the job. That's not the tune they're saying. They're, they're, they're singing. We want Mason Wynn to be our starting shortstop. And it's a very, it's a very big difference from how they usually handle this. And I think it speaks to the need that they have for, for him to handle this. They hope that he got that kind of got his feet wet enough at the major league level last year during a last place finish to feel like he can show up and be confident offensively his track record has been one where he's debuted he struggled and then he's found his footing and 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 really raised his level did he get enough time at the major league level to do that or is his offense caught up enough with his defense where he can do that they don't need him to do anything other than to hold down the ninth spot in the order um the offense if it carries like they hope it can then he doesn't have to even hit great to hold down the ninth spot in the order but if the offense is struggling then every place in the order that doesn't necessarily need to, shouldn't need to provide offense gets more stress. And that could be a situation where you're 20 games in going, okay, we're not getting even close to league average offense from shortstop. Does something need to be tweaked there? We saw that last season with how the Cardinals shuffled their outfield seeking offense. They don't want to do it. Sometimes they will do it if the situation they feel like demands it. So to me, this team is best if Mason's at shortstop and Edmonds in center field and yeah. Carlson's the fourth outfielder. I think if you have to start moving Edmond in from, from center to shortstop and you have to start counting on Carlson as your center fielder, then you look like a team that should have made a move for a center fielder this off season. That, that's, that's the, the, the point to me. Um, there's also discussion of, could they maybe add some sort of a, you know, depth shortstop, to the team, somebody above a Jose Fermin. But here's the thing: if you were going to do that, why didn't you go and get somebody a little more, a little more capable, and not sign Matt Carpenter, who can't play shortstop? So, if if, if Mason can't deliver, there, this thing could become uh, could become hectic in a lot of different ways. I know that you're going to be zeroing in on that, Ben, as we uh, go throughout spring training just underway. They'll play again later on this afternoon against the Astros. Ben, I appreciate it, sir. We've got a busy week coming up. Uh, We'll actually have a chance to visit on Monday with no Tiger Talk tomorrow. Mercifully enough, no Tiger Talk. Um, And we will set sail on a lot of things happening. So I'll look forward to talking to you then. Sounds good, man. Have a good rest of your weekend, everybody, and talk to you tomorrow. That's Ben. I'm Brendan. That's Sports Sunday. We'll see you back here tomorrow night, starting with Martin at 6 on the Big 550.